Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is Ro reading chapter 55 of the Blood Magic series, Between Rays of Sunlight. August 3rd, 2009. Harry blew the dust away from his work table just as the sun creeped in through the high windows to the east. Strips of golden light warming floorboards, then Harry's back hunched over Colin's finished monument. He had been pleased with the way the slab of cherry had soaked up magic, had called to it, played with it. It married perfectly with Colin's bubbly personality and the flitting, flighty, excitable nature of the hummingbird he had carved into the supple wood. It was his first time carving into wood rather than sculpting it, but he had enjoyed it immensely nonetheless. The feeling of the grain beneath his fingers coming to life almost trembling with the joyful, tinkling laugh that Dennis had described, the wood rising up to greet him in relief. He had used a mixture of muggle carving technique and sanding and spell work to etch the design, not wanting to overwhelm the sense of Colin with his own signature. Harry had charmed the hummingbird to flit around the slab of cherry, and for anyone who walked near it to feel the surge of curiosity that so defined Colin, that defined his magic. For several seconds, they'd feel immense wonder, the desire to know, to ask, to investigate the world around him. They'd feel the incredible possibility of discovering magic for the first time, for opening the door to a world where anything could be wondrous and delightful. A breath of first, a charming sense of undeniable possibility, of hope, bright and bursting. Harry stepped back from the table and admired the plaque. Cherry wood, bright and red and vibrant, a hummingbird dancing along the edge of plain letters. Colin Creevy died a hero in the Battle of Hogwarts, May 2nd, 1998. Harry felt a weight pull down from his shoulders, which were sore with working the wood, with holding and casting and channeling the magic of the piece. He wanted it to last. He was sure it would hold. Later, he would show Dennis, along with the tight scroll of parchment that lay across the table, Minerva McGonagall's elegant script just visible. It was her blessing to come and secure the plaque at Hogwarts, an invitation to come whenever they so choose. Harry vanished the wood dust from the floor and the pile of shavings from the table. He was tired, but a fulfilled tired, a tired that came from a place of meaning, a place of pouring himself into something, of creating and reshaping the realm of grief, of reclaiming. He heard the soft and rhythmic echoing steps of his Thestral in one of the halls upstairs, moving from one silent room of the dark house to another, perhaps avoiding the molten sunlight that was warming the rooms one by one. Harry huffed an exhausted laugh to himself, allowing his mind to wander briefly to the meeting he had in the DOM, where they had unearthed the thin threads of truth, that Thestrals held sway over the shadow between life and death, and that shadow was cultivated, nurtured, in the heart of old forests. And, sometimes, the Thestrals chose magical folk to help them, guardians that they are. Harry shook his head and pushed his mess of hair up out of his face, blowing air out of puffed-up and reddened cheeks. He reached over and rubbed his little growing encouragement, the cloud dark and thick with impending summer rain. The smell washed over him, scouring the room in its own gentle way filling Harry's mind with images of Draco, soft and gentle and sure against him. Of the nights they had spent together, the night that Harry had stretched out in Draco's too small bed, enamored by the soft ghosts of Draco's sleep-even breaths across his bare chest, their feet tangled together in soft cotton sheets, of how he had passed half the star-strewn night laying awake, struggling not to burst with happiness, his hands draped across scars, Scars he had once shied away from, had concentrated on not staring at, but now he let his hands reacquaint themselves with the wounds that had struggled so valiantly to heal, that had knitted together against all odds. And he let his touch honor that, to be a balm, soft and gentle, and unafraid of all that pain. Harry stayed up that night, reliving the evening, perfect and decadent as it was, Thoughts of Draco's perfectly crafted dinner, the soft smiles and delicate repartee, 
of their neediness for each other, wrapped up in their stubbornness, of their tentative fears and moments of bravery, of vulnerability, of communicating, and then of watching Draco come apart, of the softness of his features and the stuttering grasps of his hands, desperately seeking, pulling, drawing Harry to him, of the way he had melted into him when he finally let go, the way he had panted, eyes closed but unguarded and open with Harry, and the way Harry could not resist but kiss the sheen across his skin, the gentle laugh on his lips, bemused in the moments after pleasure. He couldn't think about that just now. No, now is the time for a quick shower and a shave, then a meeting, and then he'd be off with Dennis to Hogwarts. Colin and Dennis, too, shouldn't be waiting a day longer than they had to, and there would be time for thoughts of Draco, whole nights stretching on into the future for Harry to take him apart piece by piece. Dennis was nearly running up the gravel path from the gated entrance to Hogwarts, his camera bag slung dutifully over one shoulder, but his face sporting a ginormous grin, one he kept flashing Harry as he shouted for him to hurry up. Harry had given him a glimpse of his work before they started the trek up the castle, and Dennis had burst into tears, full of excitement, seemingly powered by Colin himself, and had immediately dashed up the path, yelling for Harry to keep up. Harry had never seen him so full of life, so light and full of joy. Harry's own dragon-skin bag was carrying the magic slab of wood, the hide keeping the delicate spellwork safe and concealed at his side. He laughed as he watched Colin hustle up the steep grounds and to the front entrance, delighted to see the Whomping Willow, verdant and green, and the lazy tentacles of the giant squid splashing about the surface of the lake. After the war, Hogwarts had been painstakingly rebuilt, and every last detail of the ancient castle had been recalled, replaced, reclaimed, held fast with magic that would carry through the centuries, cemented and reguarded with stone. Harry hadn't been there for it. He'd gone directly into Auror training. His new sensitivity to the magic around him made the experience of walking into the grounds and up to the towering castle all the more intimidating. Threads and strands of spellwork running through him, calling to him, sighing out memories of days, of people, of the moments of magic that had fortified the castle, knit it together, polished each stone and tarnished each bit of metal. He could feel Dumbledore here, and there was Snape, moments hanging on the edges of his thoughts as they crossed through the ancient front doors and into the entrance hall, echoes of all Harry's memories flooding the otherwise empty foyer, all his years pooling and swarming, laughter and tears and fear and triumph, all molten together as one. Ah, there you are, Potter. The familiar sharp Scottish accent and sweeping green robes brought such joy to Harry, he couldn't help but grin, sidestepping Minerva McGonagall's outstretched hand and pulling her into a hug, completely forgoing all notions of decorum, ignoring the, oh my goodness, that followed, for he was too full of love for the woman who had raised him, who had shaped the wizard he had become. She smelled of her old mahogany desk full of dried sprigs of lavender and camphor cream, and Harry felt instantly at ease. Professor McGonagall, Harry finally said, relinquishing her to dust off her robes and look disapprovingly down at him from her perfectly austere nose and wire spectacles. Memories of first and second year particularly held sway, and he imagined all those moments he cowered at the thought of expulsion by her decree. Yes, Potter, well, hello. I'm glad to see you seem to be in good health. You gave so many of us quite the scare with your long absence. Wherever you were, you didn't seem to learn any more manners than you knew in your first year, so it couldn't have been too bad. And hello as well, Dennis. You're looking well, too. She had stepped around Harry to shake Dennis's outstretched hand. She was trying to be serious, but Harry could see the fractional pull of a smile on her cheeks, and her magic, stern and sharp and militaristic, fluttered for a moment, full of happiness. She had been worried, maybe about the both of them. Whatever it was, it did me good, and I'm glad to be back at the castle. It still feels like coming home, even after all these years, and all the memories of the war, the battle. It feels love and tended to again, full of promise. Harry was looking around the high arching walls, the portraits, the staircases, every tiny detail that was seeping with the history of the place, far more ancient than the war, than Voldemort even. 
I can see that. You said you were coming to put up a monument for Colin. She regarded the two of them, and Harry caught just the slightest waver in her voice. Yes, just a plaque commemorating him, with a bit of magic I worked in, Harry answered, motioning to the dragonhide case he was carrying, trying to downplay the month he had spent crafting, making the cherry wood vibrant and full and the effect beautifully instantaneous, though fleeting. For a solid two weeks, the magic had been too strong, the radius of his casting far too wide, and he had been sure that he could hear his neighbors asking a million questions about the stars, the moons, the galaxy above them. Colin had really taught him patience, temperance, control. He had spent late nights stewing in the irony. May I see it? I was so happy to hear of your plan to do something for Colin. He was one of my favorite students, and I already have such a fondness for those in my house. She lifted her right hand and lay it across her heart as she spoke, her words heavy with the truth. I was thinking, after we did the renovation, that what we really needed was to commemorate what happened, not just smooth it over and return the castle to as it was. The battle happened here. We lost lives here, people we loved. I had wanted so badly to hold on to that and make it part of the history of the place, but by the end of the reconstruction, we were all so tired, and in the midst of our own grief, it just never happened. As she was speaking, Harry had opened his case and pulled out the slab of wood to show her, letting the hummingbird wake up and take flight, the magic of Colin spilling into the place between them. There was an audible gasp, a burst of laughter, delightful and carefree, that slowly folded into the choked and gasping sobs of shock, of grief, of relief. Minerva McGonagall, the woman who had remained a pillar of strength and unrelenting stamina, in the decades she had ruled over her pride of lions, in the decades since she herself had become headmistress, had her hand now clutching the collar of her robes that lay across her heart and was gripping Harry's shoulder with the other, staring at the enchanted object, her eyes wide. Colin, she managed, though only just. Her voice was weak and Harry could watch the memories of the young Gryffindor pulling at every string of her heart, for she had loved him, and she loved all of them, like a mother, fierce and proud. When she straightened up and dabbed at her eyes with a handkerchief pulled from the depths of her forest robes, she was already moving to pull Dennis into a hug. Handshakes and formalities forgotten, Harry could see her talking softly over Dennis's shoulder and into his ear, Dennis nodding and his own tears leaking down his reddened cheeks. Eventually, they pulled apart, and she turned to Harry. Potter! She had regained that tone, the one where he was sure had been used to scold his father all those years ago. That had been the only thing that kept Sirius towing the line. That had told Remus he was welcome, but not to expect to get away with the shenanigans of his friends. Because of her houselings, she expected order. That, that is more than just a bit of magic. She was staring at him, and he could sense she was appraising him, full of questions she wanted to ask. That was Colin. She finished, her words final. Yes, Harry was smiling. He could feel his magic, a gentle heat, radiating up from the stones beneath them, as if they'd spent the afternoon sun-warmed. How? Minerva McGonagall was so rarely stumped, so rarely confronted with the things she did not understand, with magic she was unfamiliar with. How did you do this? I'm not sure, honestly. Things have changed for me recently. My magic has changed. Harry shrugged. Yes, indeed. She was still looking at him. You remind me of Albus, Harry. Harry nodded to her, understanding what she meant. It wasn't praise, it was acknowledgement. He had touched upon the ethereal realms of magic that did not fit into textbooks. Old magic, magic full of questions and muddied with the complexity of time and humanity, of love and death. Magic that Dumbledore had been close to. I know where you should put this brilliant homage to my student and a hero of Hogwarts. She was bustling along the nearest staircase before Harry had realized what she said. Come along. He and Dennis looked at each other quickly before hurrying along behind her. It wasn't long before Harry realized where they were going. She had stopped just outside her own classroom, where she had been teaching transfiguration for as long as living memory where she had guided young minds to seek out magic, to remain curious, to learn and grow and thrive. 
Just here will do, she indicated the little bare strip of wall outside the classroom door, where students would gather, awaiting entrance to Professor McGonagall's realm. A permanent sticking charm will do, and I think all three of us should cast at once to ensure that this place will be forever held by this magic, by Colin and his memory. And I will ensure to tell my first years every year from now on the story of the battle and his bravery. Harry levitated the plaque, Professor McGonagall not mentioning his lack of wand, though an eyebrow remained raised, and fixed it against the wall, using his hands to guide the freshly polished cherry wood to its new home. On the count of three, they all cast to affix the wood to the stone, and Harry stood back, marveling how this bit of Hogwarts had been transformed, had changed. They stood silently a moment, all three of their eyes bright and their thoughts full of the boy who had snuck back to the castle, who had given his life to protect a world that had forced him out, a world that had told him he wasn't worthy, a place that had buried him without the recognition he deserved, who had let his memory go untended. Not anymore. Dennis snapped a photo of Professor McGonagall at the monument to Colin. Harry knew he'd spend the next few days crafting a beautiful obituary, a memorial of his own making, it was long overdue, but he could already see how this simple act was unlayering the guilt and the heaviness of grief from Dennis. It was a way to move on, to leave the pain, to leave the fear of forgetting. They walked down to the edge of the grounds by the gates to Hogsmeade and apparated together to a meeting. August 10th, 2009. In the months to come, there will be some significant changes. Luna spoke softly but clearly, her wide eyes seeking out each attendee in turn, her silvery hair falling in sheets around her shoulders, pushed back from her face by purple-rimmed spectacles that clashed horribly with her red armchair by the fire. And there were murmurs, flickers of unease. My home will, most unfortunately, no longer be available to us for meetings in a month's time. Luna was smiling, but there was a palpable indrawing of breath from attendees. Come September, we'll be making alternate arrangements for everyone. While we will ensure everyone has a new place of support, it may not be all together. I have quite a feeling that the next few weeks may be the last times we gather, all of us, together. Harry felt the air shimmer with the tension, the fear. Luna had held them all so softly and carefully, had brought them back from death, had guarded them, had kept them safe and nurtured. Luna had made a place where they were welcome, they and their demons, and no one shied from the darkness. Change is difficult. Change is often, however, necessary. This is a lesson that I know addicts who are sober are well acquainted with, though... I also know that sobriety itself hangs on stability, on routine, on not changing the things that are working well. I know this, and yet here I am, asking you all to manage this upheaval. Harry had at least known this discussion was coming. He, of all the attendees, looked the least worried. Greg, who had also known, looked the most. His collar was sticking up at an odd angle, and so was his short blonde hair. I hope we can move through this time, meeting new challenges, problem-solving together, and supporting one another in our efforts to maintain sobriety and cultivate the life that supports that. Harry looked up from his chair and caught Hestia's gaze. She sat against her velveteen settee with her legs crossed, an elbow on one knee, her hand supporting her chin. A wisteria vine, coiled in purple cones of petals, carefree and buoyant, contrasted her stoic visage. Harry sensed the deep rolling thunderstorms of summer, the charge of the air before the crackling rain, the smell of the impending showers. He could almost see the cool wind at the head of the storm ripple around the hem of her long white summer dress. Harry let his own magic reach out to her across the space between them, a reminder that they were safe that they would weather this storm together, warm and sheltered. The discussion that followed Luna's announcement floated around between members voicing their fears, others piping up and offering support. 
The moments of quiet that stretched between the lilting conversation was peppered with soft snuffling and Sylvia valiantly blowing her nose, having sequestered the box of tissues on her lap early in the hour. Harry was sitting cross-legged in his yellow armchair, and he reached over to rub Sylvia's back softly as she blew her nose for the fiftieth time, her silver bangles jangling on her wrists. He would miss her most, he thought to himself. I'm stronger for having known you all, Harry found himself saying, without thinking much about it. It was just true. The months amongst his nine fellows had been a refuge of honesty and kindness that had healed him in ways that isolation in the forest would never have. And I will take that strength with me. I hope I've given you something in return. Sylvia broke into tears again, leaning over to hug Harry. Felix nodded at him from across the room. You've given us acceptance, shown us care and understanding. Help us hold together a place to heal. You've given us the only things we ever really needed, things we didn't have outside of this room. He reached up and held Luna's hand softly in his, his voice breaking as he finished, looking down at his worn sneakers. Not only will I carry that with me, but it has built me, fortified me. It's part of me. Luna held his hand and let herself cry, and it was a long time before anyone spoke again. That night, Harry lay awake in Ron and Hermione's guest bedroom, a heavy book open across his chest as he squinted to read the minuscule print, even with his glasses on. He sighed and rubbed his eyes, sticking a bit of scrap parchment between the pages, having just finished up a section on generalized anxiety disorder and closing the text with a dull thud. He had made it a hundred pages in before he was just too tired to continue on, but that should be enough for now. Tomorrow would be all the mood disorders and PTSD, the chapter on addictions he was leaving for another night, one he felt less exhausted, less frayed at the edges, torn at the seams. Harry lay back with his hands behind his head and stared up at the painted slats of the ceiling. Luna was due in December. They didn't have much time to plan and prepare before she was on maternity leave. Luna had asked Hestia to run the meetings in her place, a wise decision, Harry had thought. Hestia had been sober for the longest and had the best handle on her recovery, on top of being a well of empathy and compassion, a light in the dark of a storm. She would take on the role beautifully. Greg had pledged his help and support of Harry's plan nearly instantly. He was so eager to be doing something. It pained Harry to watch him twisting a bit of twine between his fingers, chancing glances over at Luna as she leaned her head back and laughed beautiful and carefree and radiant as she had thanked him. Little Dipper clattered onto the window sill and hooted, ears swiveling around his dark shadow as he bobbed his head up and down, eyes wide and staring directly at Harry. Harry laughed at the little ridiculous owl, who continued to wobble and bob, hooting loudly. You want me to write him, don't you? Getting tired of how little errands you get to run over to your favorite treat giver? Dipper hopped from the windowsill over to the bedpost, scrambling a bit to regain his balance, wings wide but silent. Harry grinned and relented, summoning a roll of parchment and self-inking quill from the table across the room, picking up his textbook to use as a hard surface against which to write. He had been waiting for Draco to write him, waiting for him to relent and demand they meet, waiting for flirtatious letters and subtle hints that would leave Harry hard and palming himself through layers of clothing he'd be desperate to shed. But the letters hadn't come. He had begun to wonder if he'd pushed Draco too far, if his fear of intimacy was catching up with him, if he'd taken him apart but failed to lace him back together, if Draco was stewing in the embarrassment, flailing in the openness, the uncontained unknown. Harry chewed the end of his quill, staring at the blank parchment, a furrow in his brow. Or perhaps he had just been busy at work, or even worse yet, waiting for Harry to write him. Eventually, he put quill to page. Draco, meet me tomorrow at Grimald Place, early if you can. Harry. He spent several long minutes sketching a scene that had been replaying over and over in his mind for the past few days. A view, a memory. 
the sky full of swooping and diving thestrals, lazily gliding along strong winds and updrafts that carried them far across the forest. Harry laying back against the sun-warm stone of the mountaintop, high up above the carpet of green stretching out across the undulating terrain to the south. After rolling up the parchment and letting Dipper carry off his wistful invitation, Harry fell asleep thinking of the sounds of the forest, of wings rustling beneath the trees. Harry had his head leaned down on Draco's shoulder, licking and kissing at his collarbone between moans. He could barely stand, pressed up against his workbench, his hands shaking as he pulled away the layers between them. He could hear himself whispering Draco against his flesh, compelled to, as if a compulsion to worship the man before him, as if his name was a prayer, a grace, simple and absolving. The man who had been waiting for him. Harry had woken up late, showered and foregone his morning run, eager to get started on ensuring Grimald Place was devoid of any darkness that might prevent them from using it as a space to hold meetings, ensuring it was safe, that it could provide a refuge, as Luna's had. On the stoop, Harry had greeted the adder, marveling at the carved thestrals, dripping in anointed gold, soaring above the forest that marked the old ironwood door. He's been waiting for you, Parcelmouth. He and the death beasts, the little snake had huffed, coiling himself around the old knocker, flipping his forked tongue in Harry's direction. Who? Harry had stopped, halfway to pushing open the door himself. The half-master, of course. Harry's heart had been pounding in his chest, a smile quick to pull at the corners of his mouth. He had pushed the door open into the entryway, already lit and warm with the midsummer morning. He had let his magic pull him up the stairs to his workroom, let it guide him along, keening and calling for Draco without him having to break the silence of the house. When he rounded the doorway, he had felt his heart flutter in his chest and his breath catch in his throat. Draco was standing with his face tilted up to the large open windows, basking in the morning rays of sun, his white button-down shirt untucked over smart gray trousers. His sleeves rolled up, his outline illuminated as if ringed in fire, his sharp features ignited. It was arresting, ethereal. Harry had nearly stumbled, shocked at how utterly beautiful he was, how powerful he looked, drenched in sunlight, how breathtaking. It's been ten days, Potter, Draco had spoken without turning around, without even opening his eyes. Back to Potter, is it? I was trying to be the gentleman, Draco. I was waiting for you. Harry couldn't help but smile. Draco's pretend icy fury to cover up what was an obvious insecurity was too much. He stepped further into the room, his hands outstretched, a silent apology. Draco had opened his eyes and turned to give Harry a hard look, his eyes a steely blue-gray, cold and deep. Draco... Harry couldn't keep the fondness and the smile out of his voice. He'd missed him. He'd missed the snark and the facade and the haughty air, the schoolboy side of Draco he hardly ever saw anymore. I'm glad you came. Harry didn't miss the double entendre, and half of a laugh crossed his lips, still slanted in a crooked smile. Draco had crossed the space between them in three long strides, grabbing a fistful of Harry's shirt and pulling him in for a searing kiss, Desperate and unrefined, hungry, starving even. And Harry had enfolded Draco into his arms, pulled their hips flush together, returning the kiss with a groan, feeling himself sink into the embrace, into the fit of their hips sliding together, so reminiscent of the last time they allowed themselves to be so close. Harry's groan had turned to a whimper as Draco nipped at his lower lip and pressed into him. Harry now acutely aware of the hardness against his own stiffening cock. You missed me, Harry had said softly, sweeping Draco's hair back from his face in a moment of respite, planting soft and lingering kisses along his jaw and down his neck, reveling in the thrum of Draco's heart and the way he tilted his head back and sighed as Harry kissed his way down. Draco's hand, still holding a fistful of shirt, slowly relaxed, and Draco had let it slide down Harry's stomach, stepping back slightly and looking him up and down, 
his hair askew, his lips full and eyes bright, still full of hunger. He had pulled Harry around and pushed him up against the workbench, stepping into the space between Harry's feet, pushing his thighs apart just slightly. Harry's smile had disappeared and his breath had stuttered in his throat. Draco leaned in and kissed him again, this time softer and more careful, both of their breathing now shallow, as if afraid of what happens next, afraid to ask for more, afraid to be the one to voice how much they wanted, how much they needed. Can I touch you? Draco's eyes met Harry's as he swallowed hard. Please. Harry tried hard to keep how broken he felt away from his answer, but the word cracked all the same as it left his throat. And all of it had brought them to this moment, with Harry murmuring against Draco's skin, unable to keep himself from mouthing his name into his flesh, his eyes closed and his breath ragged, his hips canting and rocking, his hands gripping the table behind him, nails marking the wood as he sucked in a breath. Draco still stood between his legs, but he had pulled off Harry's ratty t-shirt and undone his black jeans, pulling away all of the layers of clothing to reveal Harry's thick cock already flushed and seeping. Draco was running his thumb across the slit, now slick with precum and the oil Draco had wordlessly conjured into his hand and had let drip down Harry's shaft and down his balls. He was stroking his cock slowly, deliberately, watching each slide of his hand down to the base and up again around the head, Draco's mouth open and his breath also ragged, reveling in each desperate, keening sound Harry made, each plea of his name, each time his cock twitched beneath his hand and Harry hissed and shuddered against him. He watched each moment, consumed it, as though starved, as if Harry's surrender is what fed him. Draco brought his other hand up to rub his palm against Harry's balls, his hand curling to rub and knead against the slip of skin just behind them. Harry panted and groaned against Draco and his brow furrowed, his eyes still closed, pushing himself back up on his work table and drawing one leg up beside him, leaning back and opening himself up. Harry had long since stopped thinking about what he was doing or saying, what he wanted. He was drowning in every painfully pleasurable slide of Draco's hand along his cock, of the gentle nudge against his prostate through his perineum, of the way Draco's hands brought him to the edge and seemed to hold him there indefinitely, his entire body thrumming with each sensation, each wave of pleasure. Harry leaned his head back, his stomach contracting each time Draco pulled his hand around the head of his cock, soft mmms escaping his lips as he panted. Harry needed to come. He needed the release. The relentless pleasure was drowning him in wave after wave, his hips rolling and twitching, his body begging for release. Draco's hand had started stroking him faster, more earnestly, and... Harry could feel himself tensing, feel his orgasm pooling, drawing him in, relentless and devouring. Come for me, Harry. Draco's voice reached through the haze, through the onslaught of sensation, and Harry opened his eyes in time to catch Draco's, his gray eyes sharp and voracious, and his cheeks pink, and his lips just parted and wet, and Harry let all of it take him, drown him, devour him. He let his head fall back as he moaned Draco's name one last time, cum spilling from his cock across his stomach, and Draco's hand still wrapped around him. He let his head fall back as he moaned Draco's name one last time, cum spilling from his cock across his stomach, and Draco's hand still wrapped around him, dragging each shuddering gasp of pleasure from him. Okay, so I love the monument that oh. he makes for Colin. <laughs> yeah. It's so sweet. And his, like, interaction with McGonagall is so amazing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Minnie just trying to be, like, very austere and, like, But proper. so pleased he's Yeah, okay. and just, like, yeah. so pleased to see him. Yeah. Um, and, like, that recognition that his magic is different mm. and that it's so similar to Dumbledore's in, like, a very, like... Or, abstract way or at least it's similar in what it's trying to like access and mm. you know like when magic enters this realm that's not like 
standard book of spells mm-hmm. grade five or whatever. Yeah. It becomes like so much more intangible and about feeling and intention mm. and you know it's definitely become a part of him like yeah. you know it exists with him no matter what he's doing mm-hmm. um and the fact that he doesn't use a wand anymore yeah definitely you know it's like he has become his magic his magic yeah. is him yeah so like yeah. he doesn't need a conduit he is the conduit yeah yeah definitely and even like you know he's he's done a lot of magic like wordlessly as well mm. so it's more like intuitive and about his thinking and yeah. not even about like the pronunciation of your spell mm, you know mm. yeah no we're way past that <laughs> yeah like say wingardium leviosa any way you want yeah <laughs> like in your head it'd just be like lift the object yeah exactly exactly yeah. um can we talk about Minnie mcgee for a second <laughs> like <laughs> only I... if all you have to say is how much you love her because yeah that's... no i fucking love her and yeah. i just love this idea that she's this like old spinster who's mm-hmm. like definitely married to like a muggle woman mm-hmm, in definitely. you know in a nearby town that mm-hmm. she flew home to every night and like her children are just the kids of hogwarts yeah and she just totally. loves them desperately yeah. and like is obsessed with her house and like this amazing like p- like a uh, parent figure yeah she for is, all of these lost kids she's amazing yeah she's amazing i really love her and that's why i write she's like the mother of her house. Yeah. And she is it without being like a Molly Weasley style yeah, yeah, mother. Yeah. It's just like safety, structure, security. Yeah. Like <laughs> constantly reliable. Like so reliable. Yeah. 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 That's exactly. a good point. She, like she's an institution in, yeah. in and of herself. And she's a constant through yeah. the series. Yeah, she is. Oh my God. That part in the books where she gets hit by all the stunning spells and goes to St. Mungo's. Yeah, no, I was I, so I, upset. I almost died. I was like, you don't hit many. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's just a moment where we yeah. all were like, cool, we know what side we're on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, like, we are all like unified against Dolores at this moment. Yeah. Like, this is the pinnacle moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's really amazing. Yeah. Um, and how much she loves Dennis and Colin. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, you know, she loves Harry, but she loves all of them. Yeah, definitely. Know? Like, Harry's in the in and of it, in that way. Like, Harry's not special no. in that way. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. he she loves all of the kids that she's in charge of. How much do you want to bet she knows every single student's name every year? Yeah. And knows all of them, like, as they grow up. Yeah. and Probably knows what they're doing. Yeah. And, like, you know, understands their personal life and what's going on. And Contrasted to Slughorn, who knows very specific students because of, like, the power that surrounds them and potential of power. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Minnie just knows all of them. Yeah. Because she's... An amazing yeah. teacher exactly yeah. and i feel like even with everything that happened like she would have been equally as loving of the slytherins totally and like you know like loving draco and yep. wanting to support them and make sure that they're being taken care of after the war and everything absolutely i love her god she's amazing mm. what a great character yeah it's just like a really fantastic character i appreciate that so and much. whenever i think of her i think of maggie smith yeah, yeah, definitely. Un- perfectly like, cast. Like, perfectly. Perfectly fucking cast. God, she's amazing. No, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. there is no Minnie McGee without Maggie Smith. <laughs> Maggie Smith is Minnie McGee. Yeah, McG. exactly. Like, like, when like, she's not acting, she's mm-hmm. Minnie McGee yeah. at Hogwarts. We yeah, just yeah, don't totally. Know, we just don't realize. We weren't invited. <laughs> she's the one who actually wrote the books. <laughs> she writes the admission yeah. acceptance letters. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Damn God. it, Minnie. I love that. Love me. <laughs> Where's my letter? Mm. Um, yeah. So I really enjoyed that part. And the monument gets put by her classroom. And, like, I love this idea that Harry is learning how to use this magic and refine it so that it can emulate the person that he's trying to, yeah. like, honor. Well, it's... it's. I kind of did some thinking about, like, you know, Dennis has this this inability to move on from the war because mm-hmm. he has no way to externalize and like put a place for all of his feelings yeah. he has about and his memories of his brother mm. and that's sort of why we make monuments to horrible tragedies yeah i mean we do that in our culture i mm. mean there are war memorials there are war monuments yeah. there are monuments to people and you know great sacrifice or yeah. you know we we do we make these figures that yeah. or these these places or whatever it is right. we we make things that will last and outlast individuals who remember the person yeah. so that memory lives on. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like the idea of the Battle of Hogwarts happening and there not being 
some kind of remembrance. Yeah. And I thought, like, about the idea of rebuilding the castle and, like, the castle having all of this inherent intrinsic magic yeah. that holds all and these history. memories. And history. But, like, that, that, that space that exists should also hold, like, some kind of memorial to the, the people who made yeah, that space definitely. and who made those memories and who sacrificed their lives to... Protect the school. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that is a very odd thing that humans do. We memorialize very tragic things. Like, nobody's erecting statues because they had a great year. I don't think it's odd. I think it follows this idea that we need a place to put all of this intense emotion that we have. And if we don't put it somewhere, it'll just drown us. Yeah, we have to, like, externalize it in some way. Mm. So we're not carrying it. Yeah, I think it's just a larger scale of that. Mm. And I think memorials and monuments can be beautifully done and really mm. meaningful. And, you know, they, they continue engaging. And that's sort of why I was thinking about, like, you know, mm. making them interactive yeah. almost and teaching and, and showing students things, like giving them curiosity as soon as they walk into a classroom. Mm. Like, what a gift. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And Colin was incessantly curious. Incessantly, obsessively. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. That's um, the kind of legacy I'd imagine he would want to leave. Definitely. And I love where you go with this, like, a little bit of, like, as we go on mm. in the future. Um, yeah. I really enjoy it. Um, I think if we had, if this fic had been a hundred more chapters, I would have done a hundred more monuments. Yeah. Because my sort of feeling was that everyone would have deserved one. Yeah. Every, every person who died, like, the 50 people. Yeah. Who died in the Battle of Hogwarts, and even people who didn't die in the battle, but like Remus and Sirius, yeah. you know, they like the Whomping Willow is there because Remus yeah. was there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> cool. We got to reopen the story. Start writing. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> God damn it. Hundred more chapters. <laughs> I thought about like writing one for Cedric. I didn't end mm. up doing one for Cedric, but I thought about Cho. Mm. You know, how is she... In the the canon, she's so sad. Yeah. And no one else wants to talk about Cedric. Yeah. Or remember Cedric. Yeah, well, I mean, think about, like, especially when you're, like, a teenager, you have, like, so much intensity. I mean, we've talked about how hard it is to be a teenager before, but, like, now, you know, you're a teenager and your boyfriend just died. And the people around you probably want to be supportive, but not knowing how to do it in a very helpful way. Or they know how to be supportive for a month, but what if you're still sad six months later, yeah. a year later? Yeah. Every time you that pass, sh- that this shit one... haunts you into your like adult life. Yeah. You know? Every time you pass like the Hufflepuff yeah. corridor or whatever yeah. that goes to their common room, yeah. you're gonna be sad. Like how how different would it be if there was a memorial honoring him there? Mm. Yeah. Definitely. I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, and then Luna announces that meetings are no longer going to be taking place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so meetings are shifting to Grimald Place, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. Because awesome. I really wanted to give new purpose and new life to yeah. Grimald Place. And Harry's got this house that yeah. he doesn't want to live in. But, you know, it's this old magical house that, like, is responding well to all of the care and attention yeah. that it's being given. And maybe it could be a place where, you know... Harry gets to rewrite and reclaim all of these horrible mm. things that happened there and pay homage to, you know, what good can come of that, yeah. you know? And I thought that was a really cool idea. Yeah, I love it. And also, like, <laughs> how much would it piss off Wolberga? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much. So satisfying. We never wrote her portrait no. into this we didn't. Yeah. I thought about it at one point, and it was just, I didn't want to make some, like, silly reason why. It wasn't there. Yeah. Um, I kind of imagine her just being, like, released from all of this, like, dark, consuming magic yeah. as Harry's doing all of this work in the yeah. front hall. Yeah. And, like, sort of obliterating her portrait. Yeah. But I didn't write it in. It just... I didn't have a very good, like... It was such a, um amorphous feeling I had mm. about it. Yeah. It's not well communicated, but whatever. Whatever. I recognize my faults. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. We don't need to write about Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah. We too write about her enough in the Wolf Star. Yeah, too much yelling. Oh, so God. much yelling. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and like, 
I love how Luna recognizes, like, you know, sobriety rests on, on routine mm. and um, stability. And she's, like... Change is really hard. And change is really hard. But, like, inevitable. And she's, like, I'm sorry, but, like, good... But that's, like, her showing. She's got, like, really good boundaries about it. Just no, being totally. like, you know what? My life is changing. I'm preparing you guys to move on. And yep. that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, and you have to be capable of, you know, dealing with change. Mm-hmm. Change is an inevitable part of life. Yeah. So it's a it's a hard lesson, but a necessary one, mm. and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I love too that it's like it's so clear that she doesn't feel guilty about it, right? Oh, no. She's just like she's obviously sad. Mm-hmm. It's like a you know a new chapter and like a big change and stuff, but mm-hmm. like she doesn't like have this like frantic guilt. Well, and I think that makes the change so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. She's able to just turn to Hestia and be like, "Okay, you're the peer leader now." Yeah. You'll charge. do great. <laughs> yeah. I'll be in the background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm already tired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then um, I love the, the sex scene that you wrote. Oh. Um, because it's so, I feel like, so hilariously in character for Draco. For both of for them. For both of them. Yeah. Like, Draco being so mad that Harry didn't write. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously, like, you left the tension just hanging there that I pick up in the next chapter. But, um, yeah, I find it very fucking funny. <laughs> like, so amusing. Yeah, like, so angry. He yeah. doesn't know how to manage anything. So yeah. he's just like, all right, undo your pants. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let me in there. I've had enough. I've I'm had enough. We're not talking. We're not talking I don't want to talk about it. We're not doing anything. I'm but mad like, about it. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, like take control of this moment and yeah. do what I want and just stand there. <laughs> and Harry's like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I feel like this is not a punishment. <laughs> this is not a punishment. <laughs> I am enjoying this. Glad I invited you. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Glad I didn't go on that run. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Should have got here earlier. <laughs> Should have just slept here. You're such a menace. <laughs> what? It's amazing. <laughs> what? <laughs> In his head, he's definitely thinking, like, I should do this again. Yeah, right? (laughs) While Draco's like, don't you ever do this again. I want to do this all the time. Yeah, Harry's like, this is working really well. (laughs) This is positive reinforcement right now. Master manipulator. (laughs) Stop it. What do you know? Oh, my God. You're so funny. Yeah, so I found that really amusing. Yeah, also, like, you know, I think we're constantly, well, this part of the fic is more about, like, progressing their relationship yeah. physically, and I feel like you weren't going to do that. No, so it wasn't. it's always my chapter that, like, pushes it a little forward, yeah. and then you push it a little forward, and yeah. then I'm like, and then more. <laughs> yeah, and then we're just back and forthing a lot. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad you did, because one of the, the things that is, like, so hard conceptually to, like, for me to just like wrap my head around and talk about it, like in any mm. literate way at all is like that, that like warring between like being terrified of intimacy, but like really wanting it and yeah. like wanting like sexual experiences or sexual intimacy and like having those feelings and actually doing something about it. Mm. And so I kind of just wrote an excuse for yeah. him to just like, yeah, be like, God damn it, yeah, like exactly. angry about yeah. it, you know, which, which like, and that's like such an appropriate response. Yeah, you know? I'm full of feelings. I don't know what to do with them. Take your pants off. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, like, so reasonable. Yeah, Harry's like, okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> this is a good thing. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> do 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 do. do, do. <laughs> Today is going to be a good day. <laughs> I enjoyed this. This is good. <laughs> yep. oh Meanwhile, God. Drago's having enough feelings for, like, the entire country. That's <laughs> oh, so accurate. I even write a line in there that he's, like, no longer thinking about anything. Like, no yeah. shame, no yeah, embarrassment. Nothing. Like, this is what I want. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as my chapter picks up... <laughs> We're going to hear all of the 8,000 thoughts to go Oh my god, I forgot what happens in your next chapter. Is that the meltdown? Yeah. Oh, I fucking can't wait. Oh, I fucking can't wait. Yeah, shit gets like good. Yeah. 
There's more tension coming. So much tension. It's like nothing but tension for like the next 18,000 million words. True. It's great. True. That's where I'm most comfortable. It's a tension. Yeah, just like it mm. existing amongst like great emotional distress. <laughs> in the middle of it, just like, uh, yeah, yeah. Just basking. Like, Based mm. me in it. <laughs> Based you? Yeah, in like fear. Other people's fear. Fear and butter. Mm. <laughs> So vulnerable and delicious. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> I don't know. You know what? Just the person in the fic. That's who I am. Just wait till we get to the dragon chapter. I know. I was just going to say that. I am the person in the dragon chapter. Oh my god. <clears throat> yep. So we only have... Um, Ten chapters left. I think so, yeah. Or is cool. it nine now? I don't fucking know. Counting is hard. Nine. Counting is hard. Math is hard. Yeah, that's we're really getting close to the end. Yeah. We have a lot to wrap up. Yeah. So it yeah. Everything gets like really jam packed because from here on out we're the like chapters t- get really long. They get so long because we are tying up all of the fucking doors we opened. <laughs> like, we are even opening several more. No, then we yeah, no we do. We, <laughs> no, we like, open a lot more. We open a shit ton more doors and then we like frantically try and close all of them before the begins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the epilogue is like, whew, that was Ooh, a lot. Wow, we fucking did that shit. <laughs> Yeah. Everyone lay down. Yeah. <laughs> it's nap time. No, everyone go home and bone. <laughs> that's like, that's... Is that how can you? of the story? Yeah, how go can home you say, and bone. Yeah, how can you say go lay down? It's nap time. It's like go lay down and bone. <laughs> you do one and then the other. I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a lot, though. They go hand in hand, don't they? <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Okay, other thoughts okay. about the chapter? No, I think that's it. I'm well pleased. I'm yeah. excited for my next chapter. It's fucking jam packed. Oh my god, it's so long. It's so long. Are you it's gonna, gonna read take it me an eternity to read. Wait, are you doing that? Tonight? I don't know. Let's find out. It took us all day to read oh this chapter. God, we were interrupted so eight thousand times. I literally started at like ten thirty in the morning. Yeah, and it's now like eight p.m. Yeah. It took a long time. Shit, let's go. Okay. We're done. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening.